Hey, security gang, welcome to another episode of the CISO Talk podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We've got a very, very special show today. Our guest today was one of really my first guests when I decided to do CISO Talk. Back at the time, he was at PayPal. Now he's a rising and shining star for all of us CISOs. He's in an example in many ways, uh, more than many of you could think. And we're going to be talking a lot about leadership today and, and scripting and, and, and personal responsibility and, and a lot of very, very important things for people in the cybersecurity space, especially as practitioners need to hear. So don't go anywhere. Don Peck is going to be joining the show here in just a moment. But before you do that, if you haven't subscribed yet, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. Share this show. Please, you find some value in the show. Let me know. Share. You've got topics you want to hear. Happy to hear about them and bring the right guests to the show. Cyberhubpodcast.com is where you can submit all your greatest ideas or connect me on LinkedIn. Now, without further ado, let's bring my good buddy, a great friend, and one of the wisest people I know, Don Peckett, to the show. It's CISO Talk time. Here we go, y'all. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Mr. Don, what's happening, brother? Hey, good to see you again. It's it's great to see you. Great to have you on the show again. I'm so excited for this episode. Uh, really, you know, as you and I were, were prepping and, and, and getting ready to, to think what we're going to talk about on today's show, um, I, was, I was really inspired by a lot of the stuff that you spoke to me about as we were preparing, and I'm really excited uh, to hear the feedback from so many of the people that tune into the show Don, before, before we get kind of started into our topic, for our audience who doesn't know you or who may not be following you on LinkedIn already, would you mind sharing just a little bit about your background and how you got started in cyber and what you're doing today? Yeah. So there's a lot of time that I was focused on technology and I started getting in from, from running just technology programs to running web one of the first websites that I ran actually got defaced. And that bothered me because I didn't understand how it happened. And so I started looking into the security aspects of things and hardening. And that led me down a path of, we really need to have better idea of offense, not just and how they do things, not just, oh, I, I saw this, I resolved it. Now I'm gonna set up my perimeters, but so I went and studied for ethical hacking and that opened the door for me to go to Moody's and then to PayPal and then onto a private um, core banking software system that I, that I, where I actually did a lot of good work with community banks and talking to bankers and then onto this current role with FNTS where we're doing managed services for a lot of different varieties. So I get to interact and this is why I love it. It's the ability to impact people and to teach them about security and teach them about risk and compliance. So it all started with just a website being defaced and then building up my security um, profile over time and my knowledge and being able to share that with the community, especially small, medium, mid-market players who really don't have dedicated teams or CISOs and need to understand the risk and what's going on in their world. It's, it's very difficult um, to fill a CISO role for small companies. Because they can't comprehend the um, 
enormous responsibility and job tasks of that role, right? It's kind of like, what do you think this person's going to do day to day? And you're like, assess risk. Well, that doesn't seem like it's an eight hour a day job. Um, little do they know. Well, and so many people are focused out of necessity on compliance, regulators, um, things that they have to do. And then they think that that's where it stops. And then suddenly they're breached and they don't understand what happened. Why, why wasn't I prepared? I, I did all these things that I was told to do. I had all these controls in place. And there's this huge disconnect between security and operations and a compliance and a risk mindset. You need to know your risk. You should be compliant if, when you're obligated to do so. But then you still have to understand operational security. And what does that mean as far as being aware of how attacks happen? What's in your industry? And how do you how do you protect you know you know, protect yourself or prepare yourself for that? It might, but excuse me, it mind boggles me what you just said, and I'll tell you why. I'm in the firm belief that I have yet to see one compliance or regulatory framework stop something bad from happening. I can give you a whole list of issues, cybersecurity or not cyber related, where we've got enough regulatory framework in place to protect the people only to leave so many loopholes to be abused and taken advantage of um, that it ends up being being done. And, and by the way, it's I'm writing on my Substack one of the articles I'm working on for, for uh, next the next few weeks is is by the time we publish this, it'll already be out there is around the national cybersecurity strategy and kind of the pillar of we need more regulation. And I'm like, no, we don't. No, we don't need more regulatory. What we need is more private public partnership and private, you know, these companies, all of us as practitioners, we don't need more compliance. A SOC 2 is useless, right? Like as far as I'm concerned, eliminate all SOC 2s and I'm quite happy with it. So give me that budget back to spend on good people, smart people and smart technology. This will give a lot of CISOs pause, but something that I wrote about years ago, and I still believe it is, if we truly want to be compliant and we want to have regulators truly understand if we're secure as far as our operations day to day, then they should have be hiring auditors that are technical, that have been with technology for a long time, understand it innately, have been practitioners, have been engineers or analysts, and put them in our environment for a week. Let them sit with us. Now, that, people are going, no way, we can't do that. But how else are you actually going to have somebody verify you securely? We know, you and I know, based on what you're going to be writing, what we've dealt with, you can basically show the auditors anything you want. You can color your your everything that you provide to them and give a narrative or a story that you want to tell to, to make sure your compliance hits. And that's not helping anybody out. And we see this time and time again. How many banks and fintechs have just been completed their audits, got shining stars, no matters that they had to deal with, no letters going out to their shareholders or to their customers, and then they got breached. And it, it's, it's it's a disservice to everybody. What didn't wasn't SVP like on the cover of Fortune uh, a few weeks before it went under? And, right, Silicon Valley Bank. For those who don't know, Google it if you've been living in a in a, in a hole somewhere and you're not aware of the fact that one of the biggest the 13th largest bank in the country collapsed um, and they were shining stars. They were the top financial institution. And I think being on a fortune magazine cover is pretty much like a curse, right? It was kind of like the ba- the curse of the Bambino uh, for a while. Like in, in, in Boston, it's, it's similar here, right? It's just, you know, 
they put you on Fortune magazine, you're bound to collapse and just completely evaporate. You don't want to be on the cover of Fortune. I think that's the story. But talking because this leads me to kind of leadership, right? And you shared with me coming into this show, kind of this whole idea of how team building and scripting. And, you know, we often have playbooks, you know, you called it scripting. I refer to it as our playbooks, right? Our incident response playbook, our, our incident management playbooks. And you kind of talked about that in a, in a, in a greater realm. Would you mind sharing kind of some of those tips and ideas that you've been working on and, and, and how that applied to building your current team and how you take that forward? Yeah, this is really my, my passion um, last really two years now. And it gets to how do you build resiliency in your people? I You'll see me writing a lot about people over tools and people with good processes. And when we talk about mental health and stress and addictions, it's rampant in the executive community, especially around tech leaders and, and security leaders because of the amount of stress um, the fact that you have people that are being prosecuted right or wrongly that have to make ethical decisions all the time that are being told one thing by the board, one thing by their CIO, they have shareholders that are concerned about things. And you've got all these th these concerns weighing on individuals. And then you have people that are, that are analysts in a SOC who they're looking at so much data today and they miss one thing and that's the thing that there's an incident on and they beat themselves up or you have somebody who's deploying something and it goes sideways. And instead of them having the, the skill sets to come back and say, well, why did I make that error in production? Or why did that happen in production? Or why did that change that I had completely documented and vetted not work and beating themselves up? We have to start preparing ourselves to to basically be able to step back and in a healthy way, identify and break down what the steps were and what we can do to improve that process or to refine it so that, and sometimes it's even having other people come in and look at our work, that humble aspect to say, I did something wrong, but that's not gonna define me. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna have the mindset I'm going to have the skills to go and actually do that right. Or I'm going to have the mindset that when I'm stressed as an executive, I'm not going to make bad decisions or I'm not going to go to um, some other means of, of numbing myself. But instead, I'm going to tackle that head on by saying, all right, here's my day. Here's the stressors that are coming in. How am I going to bounce back when I get certain news or certain things happen or I have certain stressors? What are the strategies I'm going to use? What's the scripting I'm going to use in my own head that I'm going to speak myself through? Um, what's my mindset going to be? Because if you think about that and are prepared for that when your day starts, you're going to be that much more successful in avoiding the things that are big pain points for us that cause us stressors. You know, you, you bring up something I feel a lot of the juniors in our industry, right? So some people that are listening right now that could be analysts or engineers and I know speaking to several of them in, in job interviews, I'd always ask them when you woke up in the morning, what was the number one thing that stressed you about going to work that day in your current, you know, or previous role? And eight times out of 10, the answer was 
that message on Teams or Slack from my boss saying, uh, got a minute, I need to speak to you. You go, nothing was more stressful to any to, to them than that one-line message because they didn't know what was coming at them on the other end. What would you tell those people in that type of situation? The first thing is your leader is a person like you who has their their own stressors and they have things that they're responsible for. So it's setting yourself up to be in a better communication pattern with your leaders. Schedule time, ask them to schedule time with one-on-ones, get to know them, get to know what is impactful to them. So what are their concerns? What are their day-to-day worries? So that you're tuned into if certain things are happening in the industry or in that business or in your team, it's going to probably have your boss a little bit off kilter. And if you're aware of that and you know what the things are that are stressors for your team and for your boss and for your organization, you're going to be able to react to something like that because you're going to think, okay, these things happened or we've been talking about these things or you know, I know him pretty well. If it was something that was really bad, he would just text me or pick up the phone. It's not going to be this email. He probably wants me to think about or suggest to him something about our program or give me some new research topic or bounce an idea off me. Otherwise, we would have known because we've been talking that I prefer to get those things just via a text or a phone call. And if, the, if, the, if that's not the CISO's bend, then just know hey, if I get a call like this from you or an email like that from you, um, what would it be? Or you can even ask him, can you not send things like that to me? Because it does set me off. And could you be more specific? I would rather know right out front what you're going to ask me and be able to prepare for it and, and be more, you know, provide more value for both sides of our conversation than have this fear in my gut. And that's something that a lot of us, unfortunately, have to deal with. And that's a whole nother thing to work on. And th- those kinds of strategies really help. Yeah, so you bring up something I feel is is, is um, very to point there is, is kind of developing those skills and those strategies. Our, our job is, is extremely stressful. When you look at, you know, kind of team building in, in, as a leader, right? A lot of times, you know, there's, I think there's two types of leaders. There's ones who hire themselves Meaning if you're not like me, I'm hiring you. And there's others who um, I think see the power in the diverse school of thought and the neurodiversity on teams to really help them do be, be more successful in their roles. You look at those types of leadership, you kind of think of scripting, you think of team building, you know, what kind of leader are you? You know, we're in a, a world today where there are a lot of, different types of ways that people think that they learn. So if, if I'm not, I don't want people like me. I don't want people that think like me. I want to be surrounded by people who are going to challenge my thoughts, my decisions in a healthy way, using data, using experience, using examples. I want that. I'm going to be a better person, a better leader. If I don't think I know it all. So I want diversity of thought. I want people that come to me from different backgrounds that have come into security in different ways. And if you think about like a neurodiverse workforce, 
there's different stressors there for managing people that have different thought patterns and different ways of approaching things. But that's okay because we have mechanisms in place. There's ways to, to manage people today that don't fit the traditional model. But they do bring especially good value when it comes to data analysis and in complex analysis of, of other uh, like abstract things that other people don't really deal well with. You know, and, and from a team perspective, um, a couple times I've come in and, and I'm known to have a different mindset when it comes to how I want the program to run. And I think that they should, should provide value and we should have clarity on what we're doing and what alerts are coming in and that we're not having a lot of uh, noise in our environment. And I teach that the team, it's like our networks are like a symphony. They have ebbs and flows throughout the day. There's different crescendos. There's all these things going on. If we don't know how our network is living and breathing throughout the week, throughout the day, how are we ever going to know when something malicious comes in? And so when you're training people on all this, they're coming from a different mindset, depending on who their leader was before or what background they came from, where security is siloed or they're, they have these high stressors. And I try to take the stress out of their job and make it fun because if they're relaxed and they're having fun because I'm giving them that availability where they're not busy so much that they don't have that time to think or, or chase an idea or a pattern down, um, and even just having fun in our chat and keeping things light and um, sometimes being a little over the top just to, to be the example for the rest of the team. All of this is helping people to get relaxed to, and the words I'll choose as I'm doing things are gonna be words about, you know, you're valued, you do good work, I appreciate your effort. I see what you're doing. You're making a difference. Um, our customers have said these things about you. I, whenever I hear anything from somebody else, I always reinforce that multiple times because at the end of the day, I want these people to have all that well of, of good thought, of memories of doing good for the one time that something goes sideways. So I can point back to, do you remember all the things you did well? Don't let this one thing define you because it doesn't. And we'll get through this and we'll we'll make you know we're gonna solve it and we'll we'll basically make ourselves so that we don't see something like that happen again because we're gonna learn from it. And taking any failures that you have and learning from them and making them a constructive thing as opposed to a negative thing is just gonna benefit the whole organization and each individual within it. You bring up such so many great points here. One, I, I agree, and I'm, I'm very similar with you in, in, in style. I think we're identical in the fact that I want a team that challenges me. I want a team that's constantly going to uh, shake my ideas. And if my ideas are good, I think they stand on solid ground and they'll make it through the challenge. But if they're bad, then I'm eternally grateful to that team for helping me avoid making a bad decision. Um, so, so, so I completely agree with that. I think you, you kind of brought up a few different things there. That, that are, you know, very, very powerful for leaders. And, and I think also for employees alike, right? Yep. That, that positive reinforcement. There was a very interesting study that was done. You know, uh, my, my wife and I have a little young baby boy. He's 17, going on 18 months. And um, we, we've read a lot of different parenting books and different parenting styles to kind of figure out what's our parenting for, for, for our young son. 
And one of the things we noticed is you can compliment your kid. And a lot of parents, parents will tell their kid, you're so smart. You're so good. You're so awesome. You're just the coolest person I know. And there was this study that talked about kind of over 20 years of these same children. And there was, you know, they kind of had two control groups, parents, a kind of showered their kids with compliments and you're great. You're awesome. Irregardless to whether or not they did a good, good or bad thing. And then the other control group was more measured in their response. So when a child failed, they in fact said, good job on effort. Keep trying. Don't give up. And when he did well, they said, okay, good, but didn't over celebrate it. Like, oh, you're a genius for solving a puzzle. Right. And what, what 20 years later, what turned out to be is those kids that were showered with stuff. The moment they failed, they never went back to it. So they never tried again when they failed because they weren't showered with praise. They were used to being showered with praise at that first failure. They gave up. Whereas in the other children, when they failed, they just picked themselves back up, went in. And then when they succeeded, they weren't looking for praise. They were just looking for their next challenge. Kind of shows you that, that our management styles almost have to be similar to that uh, with our teams. And a lot of times we tend to overshower with praise or overshower with, with um, bad feedback, but we never find that balance. And that balance is, you know, you're going to need an apology budget. Yeah, and there's things people can do to prepare themselves as adults. And one of the things in the program that I'm now a strategist for that I teach because I believe in it um, very strongly in helping people to become whole versions of themselves, we, we have science telling us that at around the age of nine, your worldview is set in your subconscious. So if you think about things that are triggering you today or that you're acting on or stresses, that very well could be your nine-year-old self with all the defenses and protections that came with that time. And so what what we train is a rewire of your mindset. So you have to spend time vocalizing with your own voice, creating visions and say, you know, uh, copying basically words or phrases that resonate with you, pictures that resonate with you, because we have different ways to, to basically implant or implant our brain. We're going to learn how to rewire our mindset by speaking things like, um, I am aware, I am a good listener. Um, I am resilient. Um, I am generous. I am kind. And a lot of times for managers, sometimes we, we lose it throughout the day because of all the tensions and the stresses. And then you can say, um, I can manage my stress. Um, I've got this. So we're helping ourselves to, to basically drive our, our subconscious, which behind the scenes unknowingly to us drives a lot of what we do we do have the ability to rewire that to make it to make it us more effective um in answering stressors and in dealing with life overall there's just a, there's a lot around this that's very simple and i've been teaching this to my staff just in the course of the last year that i've been working with them by showcasing exactly what I was just talking about when I talk to them. And then they're now mimicking a lot of these same behaviors because they've also been following me on LinkedIn 
and knowing where this came from and why I use it and um, to see the values in it. So becoming a whole person is, is going to make you a better leader. Um, if you're a vendor doing security, it's going to make you a better salesperson, more authentic, more humble. And here's something that's a very a word you have to use very carefully, vulnerable. So it's a difference between vulnerability when you're broken or you're not well versus a strong vulnerability. You're, you're vulnerable in a strong way because you know who you are. You're able to dream. You have um, a good ability to reason and you know logic and you can apply skills throughout the day to keep you on an even keel. When you're vulnerable in that way, explaining to people how you got to where you are and why you sit in this position of, you know, I'm pretty level-headed throughout the day. It's that's the kind of vulnerability I'm talking about, and it's it's misconstrued in today, and you know, in society today. And I think it needs to be reclaimed because when we're truly uh, humble with people, we're attentive to them, we're confident with them, with that humility in place, we're authentic, and then we can be vulnerable when it's appropriate to help them to connect with them from an empathy perspective, that makes for a better team. It makes for a better org. Uh, it makes for a better business unit. It makes for better relationships overall. And it makes us better people that are more resilient. And frankly, we're going to, we're not going to be going after people in ways that we do today because we don't need to anymore. We're going to celebrate their wins. We're going to celebrate each other. And that's just because we now identify that all of us have a unique role and all of us together are stronger. You know, your, your, your talk there on resiliency and kind of building a resilient team is so critical, right? Because oftentimes security, we, I always say we're on a, we're, we're always on the highway. We're never on the side street. We're always uh, 15 miles over the speed limit. <laughs> and, um, but, but we're in cruise control 15 miles over the speed limit until an, an event happens. And then yep. you've got to be super resilient because now you've got a traffic jam ahead of you, but you can't slow down. you got to keep going. And while everything else around you is stopping, you're the one team that can't stop. You're the one team that's really got to get to the bottom of it. And, and being resilient in those situations is critical, not only for mental health, but, but also for the execution and bringing the business back online, which is just as important. Yeah, and if you coach this and you have these scripts ready, you can start speaking them as the events are occurring to get your team prepared for the hits that are going to come. And if you think about the CISO, they're talking, they're giving a report to the board, they're talking probably to the CEO, what, what's the messaging going to be? There are external PR, internal PR, there's lawyers. So you're having all these different voices. How do you keep an even keel through that? and keep a clarity and have alarms going off when there's things that, oh, I probably shouldn't be having this conversation or that conversation, you know, because you're talking to all these people and they're getting you all confused. So how do you prepare yourself to be as level-headed as you can, even under all those stressors? And how much so are you actually ensuring that your team is in good health throughout that entire process too, and doing regular checkpoints with them of where are you? And then just embedding scripts as you're talking to them and say, you know, we are a resilient team. We are going to get through this. All the things that are going to give them the encouragement that you've got their back and you have faith in them. 
Yeah, that's, you know, oftentimes we take on leadership roles and we don't quite comprehend the impact we have on the people we work with. Uh, we don't quite comprehend um, the lives around the people we work with. And, and what you're talking about here is the consciousness to one, be a good example to your team, which I think every leader should be. But number two, also be conscious of, of their development and everything else going around in them and giving them the tools to not only deal with what you're doing at, uh, uh, day-to-day in their line of work, because their line of work only makes up for, you know, 33.3% of their day, maybe 40. At the end of the day, they're spending the other 60 at home with their families or sleeping. And I know some people will say, I spend more time at work with people I work with than my own family. I pity those people. I really do. Um, um, I feel like, you know, you start a family and you build a family, um, at least for me, because you want to be around those people, not because you want to run away from them. Um, I'm addicted to my family. (laughs) Being away from them is painful for me. I spent a year traveling to Dallas, right? Week in, week out. That was the roughest, one of the roughest times of my life. I was being away from my wife and young kid. Uh, So I, um, I, 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 everything you just said resonates so many times over for me. It's, you know, and, and I bet people are sitting right now and listening to this and uh, Don and what's going in their head is this. I kind of do part of that. I kind of do a little bit. Of, yeah. I mean, I may not call it scripting. I may not call it my vision board. I may not call it my image, but I kind of do that. Right. And, and, you know, but, but there's a difference between doing it and executing it. What's that difference? Yeah. Thank you for that question. The speaking at first, because when you hear it from your own voice, and this is why I like to speak it out loud when I'm talking to my team. And then often I'll have them say something back to me, like to get them to own the same reality so that we're on the same page. But if I just think about myself as a person, as a practitioner, as an engineer, as an analyst, as whatever my role is, um, and I'm going to speak to executives because that's my role. If you start every day and you can say in your own voice as you're getting ready for the day, um, I am ready. I am going to be prepared. I am a good listener. I am a good speaker. Um, I am a competent professional. I am a good security executive. You're driving yourself and you're actually telling your mind and you're setting your mindset up to be successful that entire day. Um, I am a competent speaker. I do understand business. I can explain business, you know, uh, business and security to the board, to executives. Because when you start believing these things in yourself, you're going to start driving to those resolutions and you're going to start educating yourself and you're going to continue to grow and that is what's going to allow you to become more and more whole. And the beauty of this is everything around you changes. So when you do have things happen on your teams, everybody now knows what to do and they feel safe. They don't feel like um, that level of trust has come up because you have exercised it. So when you're speaking it and you're writing the things that you believe or the dream that you want to chase. And here's the two things I hear most about in my strategist, you know, the stuff that I teach outside of my core work is that people are fearful 
And that's definitely something we can work on getting out. The other thing is I've lost the ability to dream. I, I don't know how to dream anymore because we're so busy. We don't take the time to do that. That's critical because if our brains want to have capacity to do something new, to think about the next great thing or the next way we're going to improve ourselves, or improve the program that we're doing or or do something new in security that's not even on anybody's radar today, we have to have that capacity to dream. We have to know. And so all the things that you do on a day-to-day basis around resiliency have to start with how you talk to yourself, how you think about yourself. And I'm going to say the weird thing for this, but if you don't love yourself and you can't say in the mirror looking at yourself, I love myself today, and that I love others, then you got a lot of work to do before you can even start this because it all starts with loving yourself because that's where all the competency and the the resiliency starts off of and builds off of. And if you're fearful, then you've got to, you've got basically have to rewire that out too of I'm fearless. I am, you know, there's the imposter syndrome going around and some people have it, some people don't, some people just blow right through it. But if that's something that impacts you, you need to start basically scripting your life that uh, I am a good and competent. I know what I'm talking about. Um, I am relevant in my role. I am doing good work. I am a good leader. Because as you say those things, you're going to force yourself to start acting like that. And it's your subconscious driving you. And that's 95% of how we operate today is subconscious. Only 5% of our brain is what we're doing right now in the interaction and the activity that we do day to day. I love that, Don. We're almost at time. So um, before before I ask people how to connect with you, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Yeah. And uh, uh, welcome to the, to the Sysatalk hot seat. My buzzword graveyard is full of buzzwords that have been buried in it. Which buzzword would you bury in the graveyard? You know, for me today, it's chat, GTP, it's AI in general. Uh, it's such a misused, misunderstood term, and there's malicious side of it. There's a good side of it. There's a whole lot of misunderstanding about what all what all this is. And I've been writing a lot about that, like where the concerns are and how people don't understand the language models or how it's created behind the scenes. So that's kind of where I sit on that one. Yeah, I... I... AI has been buried a bunch of times. ChatGPT is fairly new. You're the first one to add ChatGPT to the AI headboard. Um, so, so, so th- that's that's something. Um, I, I agree with you, by the way, on the ChatGPT piece. I think from a um, the thing about AI is its intelligence is fed through something or someone, typically both. And unless you know what that intelligence is, there's no real intelligence to it. Because if it takes an intelligence of a one-year-old. Well, a one-year-old has no intelligence. One-year-olds are crazy. Kids are the meanest people on earth, by the way. I completely agree with Chris Rock on his definition of kids. Kids are the meanest people on earth. They are mean. Kids have no filters. Adults have filters because we develop intelligence. Kids do not. AI is a kid. It does not have intelligence yet. Well, they have frameworks that they can uh, that they program in, but they don't actually understand how to force the AI to abide by those. And that's why they're being abused is all the ethical frameworks and the safety frameworks and the privacy frameworks, the AI just ignores them. So why even put them in there if you don't know how to make it adhere to them? That's no different than why would you put a 
you know, kind of like ethical frameworks into medicine, but then every major thing done in medicine was not ethical, right? To for advancement. So there, there's there's questions to be had there as well. It seems like re, uh, history repeats itself just in a different outfit yeah. uh, every time. What was the last song you listened to before coming on the podcast? Um, wasn't really a song. It was it was one of my modules because I have a mastermind. Um, so it was chasing your dream. Okay. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, and what book are you reading? If you're reading a book or listening to one? Um, I just finished one of uh, Patrick Lencioni's uh, The Advantage. And that one's really around clarity, uh, which is all things we're just talking about. If you have, if you're being open with your communications and you're being positive with your communications, and you're making an impact and you're creating trust um, and open lines of communication, that's going to be an advantage. And that's what, you know, the clarity kind of statement is all about. I love it. So now let people know about your mastermind and how they can follow you on LinkedIn. Yeah. So um, my wife and I are both wholeness strategists. I do something called the man school. She does something called the woman's school and, and our site on LinkedIn, our, our pages cultivate wholeness. And I also do a lot of that content as well as my CISO content on my Don Pekka at uh, LinkedIn slash IN Don Pekka. Awesome. Don, thanks so much for coming on the show and giving us 37 minutes of pure wisdom, man. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that you took time out of your day uh, to be here and share this with, with myself, with, with our awesome listeners um, and, and the thousands of people who, who will be listening into this. So really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure, Don. Uh, Don's LinkedIn link to his page, both the Cultivate Wholeness and Don are in the show notes for everyone. You don't have to go looking for him. I've already done the hunting for you and put it right there. Uh, so easy access to data is also important on the show. So you'll have that there. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe. If you found this podcast to be insightful, helpful, sharing it is the number one way it helps us grow. This podcast has grown organically. I've never had to buy a like. I've never had to buy a follower. Uh, you guys have just been coming here naturally because you enjoy the content and I hope you'll share it as well. It's a passion project. This is not my business. So uh, how you support me is uh, helps me grow this and potentially turn this into something bigger than what it currently is. So really do appreciate it. Go check out cyberhubpodcast.com. Check out my Substack for a whole lot more. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Don, again. And gang, we'll be back another episode next week here on the Sister Talk Podcast. And make sure to check out the Cyberhub Podcast daily, 9 a.m. Eastern live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch for all the latest cyber news. Till then, have a great rest of your day. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.